We'll take our Bibles this morning and we'll turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. And although in the handout it says verses 14 through 16, I think we'll just start at the beginning of the chapter. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16 is what we're going to read. All right, let's begin. The Bible says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called, and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity this morning to be here, and uh, thank you always, as always, Lord, for your goodness to us, and thank you for your mercy, and thank you for your grace. And we ask and pray your blessing now upon the Sunday school hour, bless the uh, children downstairs, the teenagers, and bless our time here, bless the morning service to follow, and we're just thankful, Lord, that you love us. We're thankful for the cross and the precious blood that was shed. Now, I ask that you'd help me as I teach this lesson this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we have just a couple of more lessons in this series entitled Real Church. Uh, but today we want to talk about relationships here in the local church. And um, you'll notice some things with regards to I'm really zeroing in to get started uh, on verses 14, 15, and 16. But you notice in verse 1 of, the, of, of Ephesians chapter 4, when Paul writes to the church there, he, 
in the middle of the verse, he says, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherein you are called. And he's just trying to encourage them as believers to make sure that as believers and as members of that local church, that when people observe them, that they're walking worthy of the, of the call on their life, their salvation. And so maybe you realize it, maybe you don't, but you know that as Christians, as believers, as members of this local body, um, your neighbors, your other family members that perhaps are not Christians, your co-workers, they, kind of, they watch you. And uh, they observe you, and they, because you're, you're a living epistle. You know, we, these, this book of Ephesians is the epistle or the letter to the church in Ephesus, but you and I, we're living epistles. And people see Christ, or they ought to see Christ living in and through us. And you and I, we, we, um, we represent, uh, or we uh, are, what people see uh, who Christ is when they look at our lives. So it's very important that we maintain a good testimony uh, in our public life and, and in our private life. But he writes here to the church and, and these, these four thing, or three things in verse 14, 15, and 16. First, look at verse 14. He talks about a developing maturity here. That we, as Christians, we henceforth are not no more children. We're not tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. So doctrine, the things of God are important. The Word of God, as we study the Word of God and, and we understand the Word of God. And um, you know, Paul talks about uh, in, in 1 Timothy 3.16, for all Scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable, he says, for doctrine, the things that are right. What, that's what doctrine is. And, um, and understanding doctrine and living out that doctrine in our lives. So part of, the, part of what we do as a body of believers is we, we develop maturity in people to grow in the faith. And then in verse 15, a devotional growth. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. And so that's a development or a devotional growth in our lives. So we begin to develop maturity in the faith. We go from the milk of the word to the meat of the word. We begin to develop or, or, or have a devotion to the things of God. And that, that's expressed in how we live our lives. And then also as a body of believers, we demonstrate love one for another. Verse 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted which every joint supplieth. It's a picture of a body and everything is connected. And, um, when it, when, and every part of the body is important. And we demonstrate our love for the Lord and our love for one another. And, and, and the, that's what the church is supposed to represent, edifying or building itself up in the love. So look on your handout here under those three... My, points at the beginning, introductory points. So the local church, it's a gift from God. This, you know, What we have here is a gift. God's given us this. It's a blessing. It's an assembly of people from different backgrounds, different circumstances, different upbringings, all brought together by the love for Jesus Christ. 
Isn't that true too? Because when you think about it, all through the years that I've been pastoring here, there's all different people that come from all different backgrounds. Some, some have higher educational backgrounds, some are tradespeople. So it's just all different walks of life when people come. And what binds it all together is our love for Christ. That's what, and so, uh, you know, I heard this many years ago, I never forgot it. At the foot of the cross, it's level, it's a level playing field. Everybody's equal. Doesn't matter what your education is or isn't. Doesn't matter what your skills are or are not. Uh, everyone's equal. And because everyone's, everyone is loved in the eyes of the Lord. And so, but we come together and make up a local body. And uh, the rest of that paragraph says, but as vital as these relationships are, they're not always easy. People are people. And, um, and how do we respond to the various relationships that take place in a congregation of believers? So there's three points to this that the scriptures talk about, and uh, we'll look at these three and, and deal with them. But Jesus gave instruction on how to deal with one another. Um, so take your Bibles now, and if you would, please go to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. So as I read these next several verses, I want you to think about these two, this question I have, because I'll ask you to, to respond to it afterwards. So as I read these, I want you to think about what, what is Jesus warning against and what is Jesus emphasizing for the believer? So what is Jesus warning against and what is he emphasizing here? Beginning in chapter 18, and I'm going to read verse 1. And uh, probably right down through verses 6 and 7. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. And said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be con converted and become as a little, ch little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name, receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. All right, so what is, what is Jesus warning against here? Somebody tell me as you read through that. What is he warning against? Yes. Picking on believers. Yeah, I can see that here, being careful, because we're going to be talking about offenses. But I mean... For, for, for you personally, what is, what is he, there, there's, um, what is he warning against? You could say something, Bill? Well, I'd say how we treat children, how we treat other people. Get back to Christ too, and 
line too, but how we treat anybody, we've got to be very careful because there's judgment that's going to come by it. Especially if, if, especially if for an unbeliever, it's, they're going to be in torment for eternity. Okay, good. What else? Yes. Judgment. Okay. What about verse 1 when he's, he's talking to the disciples? He says this. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So, so what were the disciples? If you could maybe sum that up. What, were they, what was going on in the disciples' hearts right there? Huh? Pride. Yeah. Who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That's what they were worried about. Who? Huh? Who's going to be first? Right, right. So I think the word pride sums up in one word what he's warning against. Who can give me one word that he is exhorting us to be like or, or um, humble? It's pride and humility. Those two, you see that a lot in the scriptures, being careful of pride and endeavoring to have humility in our lives. So this is important when we're dealing with the issue of, and there's really in this lesson, there's three types of people that we may encounter in a local body. So I want you to get kind of that mindset right now. We're not talking today about people who are not saved, per se, although it's possible in the local church that could be the case. But we're, we're talking about the local church. We're talking about you and I as a body of believers now. That's the whole context of this. Interaction between members of a local church. Okay? So the first group are willful offenders. And Jesus warns against, being, uh, against offending people. Here he, he talked about offending uh, children. Um, but look, look in verses 15 and 17 of this chapter. Jesus says this now, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, he says, then take with thee one or two more, and then in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and as a publican. So the first sub-point here is acknowledging the offense. There are times when people in a local body offend. Someone gets offended. Someone says something or somebody does something. And um, as a body of believers, remember what it said there in Ephesians, that we endeavor to keep the unity of the body. So now he's talking about acknowledging people who acknowledge the offense. Either you acknowledge the fact that you've been offended, or you acknowledge the fact that you are the offender. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to the church there. There's a lot of problems in that church. And he says this on your handout, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 2. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? 
Do you not know that, you sh that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, ye are unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Anybody know what was happening there in 1 Corinthians? Why Paul wrote that to them? There's, obviously, there was a problem in, in, the early, in the church in Corinth with regards to the brethren there. What was the problem? Anybody know? They were allowing sin to Well, there was there's a lot of sin that was taking place in the in church in Corinth. That's true. That's that's true. But in but notice in this case, dare any of you have a matter against another, go to law before the unjust. Right. They were handling it within the church. In fact, it seems in some of what I've read about it, some of them were suing one another. And this, these things needed to be um, dealt with right there in the local church. And they weren't doing that. Um, they weren't acknowledging that. They weren't behaving very well one towards another. And um, when, when there are two individuals in a local church that are at odds with one another, they ought to be able to come together and to deal with that particular issue. And that wasn't necessarily taking taking. Um, case. That, that wasn't necessarily the case in the church there in Corinth. And that can happen in a local church. It happens in a lot of things in life. You heard the story about the little boy whose uh, baseball coach came up to him and he said to little Johnny, he said, Johnny, now listen. And he said, Johnny, the, the, this is Little League, he said, and uh, we play as a team here. We want to play as a team. And we want there to be good team camaraderie. And little Johnny looked at his coach and he said, yeah, I understand that. He said, we play as a team. And the coach said, Johnny, now we support one another and uh, we show good sportsmanship when we play. And Johnny said, yeah, I know, I know. He says, I know that we do that. And Johnny, listen, when the umpire either calls you out or, or you strike out or he says that there's a strike, there's no bad language. We don't use any bad language. We don't kick the dirt. Uh, we don't scream at the umpire. And little Johnny says, I know that. And the coach turned to little Johnny. He said, now, Johnny, will you go tell your mother that? <laughs> because that's how, the, that's how sometimes the parents are at games. Parents are, are worse than the kids at the games. And um, it can be, in fact, in Texas years ago, there was, uh, they had to pass little league laws that, that the parents could be kicked out of the game if the parents uh, weren't behaving. Well, sometimes that's the same thing that happens uh, in a local church. Uh, sometimes people are just quick to speak. They should be slow to listen. And uh, everybody wants their opinion. And uh, sometimes it would be just good to listen. Be, be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to wrath, the Bible says. So sometimes we need to just acknowledge uh, whatever that offense might be. And then we approach the offender. You know, by the way, this happened in our church this past year. There was someone who attended the church for several years, and uh, they were doing things that were offensive. And after working with them for three or four years, we finally had to approach them and, and, and ask them to no longer come to church. Um, because of the things that were being done and said. 
And I've had to do that in my years of ministry on a number of occasions, ask people to stop attending because you, you try to work things out with them. You try to show them the error of their way and, and then you go with someone else and you show them you know, with another person or two or three other people. And um, finally gets to the point where you just have to say, I'm sorry, but you can't attend here any longer. It's a privilege to attend a local church. Okay, it's not a right. It's a privilege. And because um, the church isn't, it's not my church in a sense, and it's not your church. It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, so that's the next, on the back of your handout, you have to approach the offender. And that's what verses 15, 16, and 17 on, in the book of Matthew are about approaching them. Back in Ephesians, where we started, it says, speaking the truth in love, that ye may grow unto him in all things. Someone said this, I put it on your handout, in every step of the process, we must remember that the, pers the purpose uh, for approaching people is to restore them, not to condemn them. And that's so true. Um, and it's always good when you're dealing with people to be positive before you're negative. Um, to let people know we're trying to, they're trying to, to help them. We're trying to give direction and guidance. But again, look what it says here. Jesus said, if thy brother trespass against thee, verse 15, go and tell him his fault between him. It's a one-on-one -on -one thing. And if he hears thee, thou gain thy brother. You hope that there's recognition of what was wrong. But if he won't hear thee, then go with two, one or more or two. Go, and in the mouth of two or three witnesses. And then sometimes you have to bring it before the whole church. Um, and if you neglect to hear the church, then let him be unto thee as a heathen man and as a publican. You say, that's enough. And those are hard things to do. But um, those are things that need to be done sometimes. And, you know, the Bible says, be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. And so you always, you're always hoping to restore. So when someone is willfully offending others or offending the body, you hope that they'll acknowledge the offense, but the church has to acknowledge the offense. And then you approach that offender and you deal with, with the issue. So that's one set of relationships we have in a local church. The second set is when you have a, a brother that's just wayward. Uh, not necessarily they are offending people, but they're just involving themselves in a lifestyle that's contrary to what the church stands for, what the Bible stands for. And you have to deal with, with that as well. Look, look in chapter, before we move on, in Matthew chapter uh, number 18, look at verses uh, 12 and 13. Jesus said this, How think ye, if a man have a hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine, and go into the mountains, and seek that which is gone astray? And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more on that sheep than the, the ninety-nine which went not astray. So sometimes the, in a local body, there are believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, who get caught up in sin or or they get influenced and they start to drift away from following the things of God's word. And that's what we might identify in this lesson as not willful offenders, but wayward brothers. 
or wayward sisters in Christ. And what we always are hoping to do is restore people. Paul speaks of this in the book of Galatians. Let's turn there. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. So Paul writes to the churches in Galatians, he says this, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceiveth himself. So, here Paul gives this example of someone who gets kind of caught up in sin or maybe is drifting into sin and um, another brother or the pastor or, or a sister in Christ goes to them and says, hey, what are you, why are you getting involved in this? Why are you par participating in this? And uh, it's the kind of thing that pulls you away from following Christ. And, and that's a responsibility that we have as believers when we see a brother or sister going wayward, to, to speak with them and to, and to restore them. But, but what kind of a spirit do you have when you do that? Look, at, look on your handout, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul gives this instruction to Timothy. He says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. The servant of the Lord must not strive. You know, when Danielle and Micah were here on their last Sunday, and Micah gave this as a public testimony, so I'm not saying anything that he didn't say publicly. But there was an incident that happened several years ago in which Micah and Danielle um, almost left attending here. And um, I'm going to give credit to Pastor Ethan as he dealt with that. And I'm not going to get into all the specifics because Micah didn't either, except that Micah said it was a very selfish thing on their part that uh, that was the reason. And uh, um, Ethan dealt with them very patiently and dealt with them gently. And um, that issue was resolved. And um, we're glad that it was resolved because they were a great blessing to our church. But if you remember from Micah's testimony, they learned a lot through that about themselves, and uh, it was part of uh, Ethan as, a, as, the, as the lead pastor now of this church dealing with a very important issue. Um, and by the way, that's why it's so important that you, that you pray for the leadership of a local church, because there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes that no one knows about, that, that people are dealt with and issues that are dealt with that are very stressful and um, very demanding of your energies. Um, and it's just very important that the pastors are, are prayed for 
um, because they pray for you. And um, I know in my years, I, I've always, I kind of, when I pray for the congregation, because everybody kind of sits in the same place all the time, so in my mind, I kind of I just pray my way through the auditorium. And um, that's, that's what helps me to remember uh, to pray for the different people in our church. But whenever someone begins to go astray or there's a difference of there's a problem, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26, that's how we deal with it. And uh, right in the middle it says, If God peradventure... Or, or no, notice what it says, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. So, Paul writes here and he says, listen, sometimes the decisions that people are making, they, they don't even realize it, but they're opposing themselves. And then be careful too, because sometimes people take a stand and then they make that stand and then their pride gets to be the best, takes the best of them. And once they've, once they've positioned themselves, rather than thinking things through, sometimes they're just so prideful that they decide, well, I'm just going to stick with my decision one way or the other. Because I don't have, I, I've left myself no way to back out, and that's never true. And, um, but our responsibility is restoration, not condemnation. And then reinforce a wayward brother or sister. We then that are strong in the faith ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. And um, Paul writes that to the church in Rome. And, and again, here in chapter 6 of Galatians. If a man be overtaken in a fall, if you which are spiritual, restore him in the spirit of meekness. Consider thyself. You know, let you consider your, your own experience. And uh, verse 2 is to bear one another's burdens. That's to reinforce them. Bear one another's burdens and you fulfill the law of Christ. Remember, what is the law of Christ? Somebody tell me. What is the law of Christ? Paul writes that we should know what it means. We fulfill the law of Christ. Well, there's specifically it's given in the Bible what it is. What do you know? Go ahead, Bill. Yeah, to love thy neighbor as thyself. That's the law of Christ. It's found several times throughout the New Testament and in the Gospels. But it's reinforcing and helping. I don't know if this is on your handout or not, but I have the words illustration and gene nid. I don't even know how you say this correctly. Nidditch. Is that on your handout? Gene Nidditch? Anybody know who Gene Nidditch is? She's, you wouldn't, I wouldn't know who she was either. Do you think you know who she is? No. No. Gene Nidditch. In 1961, Jean Nittich invited six of her friends over to her apartment. And uh, all of them were struggling with their weight. And so they began to have this little group to try to lose weight. And um, now, almost 40 years later, there are over a million people that 
are part of Jean Nittich's group. She never thought it would get to this. She was the founder of Weight Watchers. And uh, so she just started this as a little group. And somebody asked her one time, well, what's the secret of your success? And this is the story that she gave. She said, actually, she said, I didn't really start out to have this Weight Watchers thing. But as a little, as a young girl, I'd go to the, to the park and I would kind of observe a lot of the mothers with the little children near the swings. And the, and the mothers would be talking kind of just, to, kind of somewhat ignoring their children. They sent them off to the swings and the swing, and at the swings, the kids wanted to swing. So she would come up and she'd kind of, as a little girl, push the smaller children so they could get going. And, uh, and then they'd teach, she'd teach them, you know, to move their legs back and forth to get the swing to go. And she said, I just gave them a little push. And she said, that's just been the secret of my whole success with regards to Weight Watchers. My, my job was just to give people a little bit of a push and to get them started on the program. Well, in, in a sense, that's a good, good illustration of what happens in a local church as well. You and I, as we try to build people up in the faith or restore people or help them to grow, we're just there to kind of give them a little push and, and, and to uh, help them along to serve the Lord. In any way that we can, we can do that. We, we certainly want to push them towards Jesus. We don't want to push them away from Jesus. Amen? And so that leads, leads us to the last point here, being willing servants. So I don't think this is on your handout, but go to the book of Romans. Romans chapter number 16. Romans chapter 16. And verses number one through four. In Romans chapter 16, verses one through four, Paul writes this, I commend you unto, or I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Centuria, that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a succor of many. That's a word we don't normally use. What does that word mean, succor? It's a helper. She's been a helper of many and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Well, these, that's some, some high praise for these just a couple of individuals that are mentioned here. And, um, you know, everybody does their part. They're willing servants. And, um, you know, I want to just say thank you to Dennis publicly. Dennis came this week. I usually take the trash to the Reedsboro dump from the church. When I go to the dump, I take the trash from the church, and I just do it all at one time. But I was away this week, and we had the meal, and there was trash out in the bin. And you know what happens to trash after it sits in a trash bin for over a week, and it's like 90 degrees outside? When you pick it up, there's these little white little things called maggots everywhere. It's gross, and it reeks. And so Dennis has done this for me a number of occasions, and uh, I texted him. And said, Dennis, if it's possible, could you pick up the trash? And I didn't hear back from you, so I was a little nervous. He usually texts me back, and he says, I'll take care of it. 
So the first thing I did today is I got here, I went right to the trash bin, and it was spick and span clean. And, I, and you might think, well, that's not a big deal. Let me tell you, after a week of camping and I'm tired, and the idea of taking all that, the dump is open on Sundays in Reedsville, the, the, the idea of loading all that sneaky, smelly, maggot-ridden trash into the back of a van after church today was not appealing to me. Now, that might be appealing to you, but it was not appealing to me. <laughs> so thank you. But things like that, you think, you know, and I, many of you do many things, and I appreciate all of those things. But just being willing servants, whether it's something like that or, or whatever it is, it's all different roles and, and responsibilities. Um, but that's, believe it or not, that's part of edification, building one another up in the faith. Comfort yourself. Last week when we had the indoor picnic that was supposed to be outdoors, just the, the fact that people chipped in and cleaned up at the end and helped to put stuff away. That's a blessing. So don't always think, well, you, you know, the only way you could serve in a local church is to teach a class or to sing. Um, no, no, there's all different things that you can do to help. And it's all appreciated. And be an encouragement. Be an encouragement. Deuteronomy 3.28 but charge Joshua, Moses said, and encourage him and strengthen him. For he shall go over before this people and he shall cause them to inherit the land which thou shalt see. But notice what it said there. Encourage him. Encourage him. Let's encourage one another. So we just finish up here. Authentic church relationships are possible as we follow God's relational blueprints. Where there is a willful offender, we should approach him and work towards reconciliation. Where there's a wayward Christian, we should restore him and reinforce him or her in the Lord. And where there is a faithful servant, we should encourage him and thank him for his or her faithfulness. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, bless the morning worship service. Let it bring honor and glory to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.